I don't know if you figured it out yet or not, but um, there's only one way, I believe, Brother Oakley, you come through those type of things in life and get through on the other side without losing your hope and your joy. And that's because of a person. Because of a person by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And contrary to what the world may tell you, Christmas is about Him. We're here tonight because God sent forth His Son. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son to save us, to be the payment for our sin. And so tonight, I want you to open your Bibles up with me to Acts chapter 17. I want to turn our focus and our attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the reason that He came to the earth. And I'll tell you that, you know, concerning truth, we typically have two problems. Number one, we're ignorant. You know what that means? We don't know the truth, Brother Craig. Or number two, we won't acknowledge the truth. So I say Jesus clarified the first issue when He said, in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the truth. Amen. And I'll say this in the Bible. There's a verse that has to do with acknowledging the truth. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just read it to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 25, it says, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure would give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by Him at His will. So tonight, we're going to talk about the truth of, the, of Christmas and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's three types of people we're going to see in this, this passage we're going to look at in Acts chapter 17. And one of those is the ignorant. We're going to solve that problem tonight. By the time we're done tonight, you won't be able to claim to be that person. Amen? Number two is the disobedient. And then lastly, we'll see the obedient. And so Acts chapter 17. Find your place and we'll start in verse 16. If you have your Bibles tonight, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Wow. What a sight that must have been for Paul. And he says in verse 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Now why do you think he was doing that? Why was he stirred up? And why was he spending daily in the synagogue and in the, mar- in the market disputing with them? Because Paul knew the truth. And he wanted to expose them to the truth. And give them an opportunity to know and to learn what he knew. And then to make a choice. 
either to obey the truth or to disobey the truth. And so, as it is in Athens, they're very uh, they're a very superstitious group. If you look down in uh, verse 20, he says, um, they were a type of people that bringeth certain... He, they, they saw... Let's go back to verse 19 or verse 18. Excuse me. It says, then certain philosophers, and it tells you different types, but they say at the end of verse 18, they said that, Paul, you're preaching unto us Jesus and the resurrection... And they thought that was a strange thing, you'll see in verse 20. He says, this is strange things to our ears, talking about the resurrection of the dead. In verse 21, for the Athenians and and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. I'll tell you, some things just haven't changed. People always, you know, want to know something new. We're curious. Well, I'll tell you, one wise man told me, don't tell me what's new, tell me what works. I'm going to tell you what actually works. I'm going to tell you what's true tonight. But these philosophers and these Stoics, and and they were uh, always wanting to hear something new. And then when they heard what Paul said, they said, boy, this is a strange thing to our ears. And they invited Paul to come up to the place called Mars Hill and to tell them more. And that starts in verse 22. And this is where we'll begin to see these three characters. It says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. He's saying you're too religious. You got too many superstitions. Verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him I declare unto you. Paul said, you're ignorant regarding this, or you wouldn't have put the unknown God. You don't, you're just hoping, to, maybe we missed one, and so we're going to just throw in the unknown God. We have all these other gods, let's throw in a, a few more. What does it matter? And Paul said, you're ignorant. But he says, I'm going to declare Him unto you. And now, in order to solve ignorance, Brother Brent, it requires knowledge. So, Paul is going to give us some knowledge of the holy here. Some knowledge of God that we can work from to know who God is. And then to know what He expects of us. Amen? So, the first thing he's going to say, he's going to say, verse 24, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, Seeing that He is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. The first thing He's going to tell us is that the true God is the Creator of all things. He made everything, and I'm going to tell you something even more than that. He made everything, and He started with nothing, Brother Johnny. Nothing but His Word. Just His Word, Brother Craig. Just His Word. Nothing else. And He spoke everything that you see into existence. He spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. This God that we're talking about, the true and living God, is the creator of all things. Is that impossible? It seem impossible to you? The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, that with God, all things are possible. Yes, 
And I thank God for that. Amen? Because we can create everything out of nothing. And surely He could help me. Amen? And I got good news for you. He's interested in helping us. And that's why He sent His Son. And we'll see that later. Second thing about that we're going to learn about this God, in verse 25... Is that He is all-sufficient. Look at verse 25. It says, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needeth anything, seeing he, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Do you know that verse, that phrase there, it says, as if He needed anything. Did you know that God does not need you or He does not need me? He doesn't need my love. Brother Shane, he doesn't need my worship. Brother Samuel, he doesn't need anything. He is completely sufficient within himself. And he was before he created everything. He didn't do it because he needed to do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. He doesn't need me, but he wants me. And he loves me. And he did it of his own free goodwill. Because that's what he wanted, Brother Mike, not because he needed anything. There's nothing that I have to offer to God that he needs. He is all-sufficient. But in the end of that verse, we also see, not only is he all-sufficient, but it says he giveth to all things life and breath and all things. Do you know he is a good God? Did you know that he gives us our very life and our very breath? I mean, I don't know whose air you're breathing tonight. But I don't think it's your own. I don't think you came up with it. I don't think you produced it. And man, how presumptuous we are. We take these things for granted that God has done for us. But He's good, Brother David. Amen. He is a good God. He wants us to know that. I tell you what, you guys came into the world about like I did. Amen. Naked and pooping on ourselves. Thank God He gave us parents. You know what? Maybe, maybe we ought to be a little nicer to our parents. You want to go back and think about that, huh? Maybe we ought to thank them a little bit for that. Because we couldn't do anything for ourselves. But God provided everything that we need. The Bible says in Peter that he produced everything that we need for life and godliness. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. And then in the next verse, we see here in verse 26, it says also, And he hath made one of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Let me tell you, God is sovereign. Did you know He determines when you're born and where you're born? God's in control of all of that. I don't think you picked your birth, did you? I don't think you birthed yourself either. It was all up to God. And you know what? You should thank God that He has allowed you to be born at this time and to be in this place when you have the opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to respond to it and to be saved forever. I thank God that I'm born at this time and in this place. In verse 27, we'll see beyond that. It says that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Did you know God is so merciful? He is a merciful God that right now, if you were to seek after God, if you were to reach for God right now, what you would find is He's already reaching for you. He's already initiated you coming to Him. One, He sent His Son so it's possible. Number two, the Holy Spirit draws men unto the Father. 
Amen? And so it says that if we would just reach, Brother Lauren, that we would find He's not far from us. The Bible says if we draw nigh to God, He'd draw nigh to us. He's like that. He's merciful. This is the God that He's explaining to us, that He's given us knowledge of. Amen? And so, the other thing, verse 28, I want to show you about God. It says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, For we are also His offspring. Now, God is our provider of everything. Amen? It says, even the heathen poets, Brother David knew that. They even wrote about that. And you know what else it says? It says that obviously if we're alive, that God is also alive. He's not in a wooden statue, okay, or a metal statue, or anything else. He's a living being. He's alive, a living God. And it says that He is also our provider. He gives us everything. In Him we have our breath and our movement. And you know what? There's probably not, a, probably not a person in this room tonight that would disagree with anything that I've said so far. And you know what? Everything was going good on Mars Hill that day as well. Everybody was agreeing with that. So yeah, even our, our uh, poet said that. But you know, it's about to come a turning point. Because the thing about the Lord Jesus is that um, He said, I came not to bring peace but a sword. And this is what he meant by that. He meant that I make you decide. You can't just stay on the fence of saying, I believe in God. Believing in God, even the devils believe in God, according to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19. That's a good thing, by the way, but it's not enough for you to have your sins forgiven. Amen. And so, we see that God is a living God. We see He's the provider. Verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone or graven by art of man's devices. Here comes the third turning point in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You say, Brother Lewis, repent of what? Well, if you don't know, then that's your problem. See, because he has now explained to us, he has given us knowledge of who God is, and now he's about to tell us what God desires and what he requires of us. It says in the past that God winked at this ignorance. You know, we know a lot more than those in the Old Testament knew. The New Testament has revealed unto us the Lord Jesus, and we're actually looking back at a historical fact and saying that we're putting our faith and trust in something that's already been done by the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know in the Old Testament times, they had to look ahead to that, but in the Old or in the New, it's still always been by faith, knowing that God would do what God said He would do, which He promised to send a Savior, a Messiah. In verse 30, we see about God here something very important. It says that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Did you know that God is holy and God is just? And that God is also the judge. Amen. This ain't about comparing to each other. 
You may say, oh, well, I've got nothing to repent of. I'm better than so-and-so. Or I'm better than them for sure. Bad news for you. This ain't a comparison. There's only one comparison here that's made, and that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all God requires in order to have favor to Him, to be justified before God, to be made right before God, He only requires one thing, Brother Stewart, and that's perfection. That's perfection. You say, well, from here on, then I won't sin anymore. I won't do anything that I know is wrong. That won't help you any. Because you can't pay for what you did in the past. And you know what? Sin's a whole lot more than just what you do. It's also what you don't do. And the Bible has told us clearly that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. If you haven't done that, you haven't met God's standard. So with that said, we have a serious problem before us. And I said earlier that God initiates and that He is working before we are. And so because of that, God knows we're in trouble. And He says that here's what I require. I said, number one, you must repent. You know what that means? You must agree with God about what He says about you and about me. And that is, Brother Zach, that we have sinned against God. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And must recognize acknowledge that before God. And the second thing is, we must put our faith in a man. Look what it says in verse 31. After he tells every man everywhere to repent, he says in verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That man, that man will be your judge. That man, in that day, that appointed day, you know what that means? That day cannot be avoided. It is appointed. Cannot be avoided. I'll say this, if people come into my office, they have to fill out some paperwork. There has to be some preparation. You know what I want to tell you tonight is that you can't avoid the appointment, but you can be prepared for it. Before a person is going to get back to see me, they got to do something. Before you're going to be able to stand before God, you must prepare now. Because that appointed day is coming. And no man knows when. So you may be asking, how can this man help us? I heard that Jesus died. Well, He did. And I'll tell you this too. Three days later, He rose again. To never die again. And it says He liveth, Brother Kenny, in heaven, even now to intercede for us. He's at the right hand of the Father. And one day, He'll take His place upon the throne of the earth. Amen? But in the meantime, He is able to be our mediator, our advocate. He's our intercessor and our high priest. And He's able to go before the Father and to intercede for us. And I thank God for that. He is God, and He paid the price for our sin. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 14, I'm going to read this to you. You can just hold what you got right there. We're coming right back. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Did you know there's no other way to get forgiveness of sins except through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's only in there that we have redemption. That means that we've been bought back. We got sold into sin 
through our father, Adam. We are all seed of Adam. Because he sinned, he cast all of his offspring into sin. Therefore, every man is born a sinner and separated from God. And there was only one way to get back into God's family. And that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The redemption, the forgiveness of our sin, the payment. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, He is our propitiation for our sin. That means it is our payment for sin. And it says not ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. Did you know that Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient to pay for the sins of the world? It's available then. It's effective. It's effectual. But it must be claimed and received. Now at this point, as Paul's laying out his message on Mars Hill, he's talked about this resurrection again. He's talked about that man that it has that it's going to be the judge at the appointed time. And now we're going to see in verse 32 the second group of people. We saw the ignorant and we fixed that problem. Now we see the second, which is the disobedient. It says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Both of these people are guilty of disobedience. One of these is actively rebellious or disobedient toward God. They say, Ah, that's a bunch of silliness. That's a bunch of superstition. You know, God, man made God. Not the other way around. Those are mockers, but they're disobedient to the truth. They won't acknowledge, they refuse to acknowledge and receive the truth. The other one, though, he appears to be kind of okay, Brother Tucker, but he's also passively disobedient. because, And he's also presumptuous. You know what that means? He's presuming that God, even though he's told him, God is the one who gives you your very breath, your very life and your movement and your being is all in Him. This, is, this person is presuming that when I'm ready, later on, once I'm done having fun, then I'll commit my life to God. The only problem with that is, just don't die. See? And the other problem with that is this. If God moves your heart tonight, what do you get, aren't you presumptuous to assume that God will ever do that again? How many times have you heard about this before and He hasn't done that? What if your heart gets hard? You know, resisting God gets easier the more you do it. And the harder your heart becomes, the more resistant you are to the truth. And so there's no guarantee, number one, of life for another day. You know, we don't know how close, Brother Scott, we are to that appointed day. I mean, it could be this day. Literally. That's a dangerous, this is a dangerous place to live. You can, you can have an accident on the way home. Some have had heart attacks, certainly unexpected. Some people get diagnosed with a terminal disease and only live a very short period of time. You don't know when your appointed day is. And we should not presume upon that. And the second thing is, if God's dealing with your heart today, today's the day of salvation. It may not come your way again. It could be a long time. It could be never. So that's the disobedient. Now I thank God for verse 33 and 34. It says, After that, 
They said, we'll hear of this matter again. So Paul departed from among them. Verse 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among them was a man and a woman, and it says at the end of that, and others with them. I praise God that some still today believe. And that is what it requires. This is what God requires of you by faith that you believe the record that God has left you in His precious and holy Word right here. And that record is not only uh, the record of yourself, who you are according to this book, but also who Jesus Christ is. Because salvation, true biblical salvation, involves, number one, repentance toward God. And number two, Faith in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can be added to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Brother Jose, there is nothing that can make me more right before God than Jesus Christ Himself and Him being my Lord and my Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So we have a choice here before us tonight. We have a choice of paying for our sins ourselves, which means death. And death always means separation. It always means separation. In other words, if I die right now up here on the stage, that means that my soul and my spirit have left and departed. They've separated from my body. When the Bible talks about death, And it talks about eternal death or the second death. It's talking about being separated from God forever. And God is everything that is good, everything that is light, and that means that you spend an eternity in a dark place where there is no no light. That means nothing can be seen. You know, in the the nation of Israel, when, uh, when God brought the plagues upon them, It got so dark there, it was an incredibly fearful thing. You've never experienced anything like that, nor have I, of a point where you can't see anything. A few times I've been in some caves, Brother Tucker, and and turned the light out, and it's it's scary even there to not be able to see even your hand in front of your face. Imagine spending the rest of your life with no communication, with never being able to see anything. Total separation and isolation in what the Bible calls also a place of torment. That's not what God intended for you when He created you. God intended that for the devil and for His angels. And because He doesn't want you there, He sent His Son to be the payment. So our two choices are, number one, we pay the price of our sin. Our wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Or... We receive the payment of another. Amen? That's our two choices. We pay or we receive the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very simple message. I'm just going to turn to one more passage. Turn to John chapter 3. Very simple. The gospel is simple. It's not to be complicated. It's to be received. Believed on and acted on. John chapter 3, verse 36, the last verse 
of John chapter 3. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That word abideth means remains. The wrath of God remains on the one that has not the Son. So my question to you tonight is simple. Have you the Son? Do you have the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust completely and wholly in Him to be your Lord and your Savior? If you have not, then we're going to have an invitation right now and you'll have an opportunity to do that.